Hello, good evening, and welcome to Seascapes. On tonight's programme, an RNLI crew member leaving the service after 40 years, and a mysterious large metal object washed up on a south coast beach just last week. Michael Fitzgerald has been the full-time mechanic with the Arklo lifeboat for two decades. Before that, he was a volunteer and altogether has served the seafarers around Arklo for 40 years. He's just retired and I went to meet this remarkable man on board the Arklo lifeboat recently. He told me about his life at sea. Retired now, mechanic from Arklo lifeboat station. I have been a member of the crew here for over 40 years. And for the past 21 years, I was the full-time man at the station. The responsibilities of the full-time man are basically the day-to-day running of the station to make sure everything is in order, to make sure the boat is fit to go to sea at any time. And as you know, we're on call 365 days a year without a break. So Christmas Day is the same as any other day. Michael, tell me something about Arklow Station. It is, is it the oldest in the country? It's the first RNLI station founded by the RNLI two years after the RNLI itself was uh, initialised. The RNLI was founded in 1824 by William Hillary and Arklow was founded in 1826, only two years, as I say, after that. The reason that Arklow was founded was because of the Arklow Bank out there. And if anyone was visiting Arklow on the lookout now, the Arklow Bank is quite well marked because it has... Um, seven windmills on the seven wind turbines and at the time in 1826 that it was founded the uh, amount of shipwrecks were phenomenal now it's actually like a graveyard of wrecks out there even to this day so i know from experience passing over it you can hear the waves breaking sometimes it's almost like a beach quite correct and there's points of it out there that at times you could actually stand on now that might find seem difficult to a a land-based person that you can travel seven nautical miles out to sea that'd be eight land miles and you could actually stand on a, on a bank of sand basically at that distance and the other thing is that the tide doesn't run up and down it runs across the bank so unfortunately for the sailing ship days when the tide was in one direction it was pushing you up on the bank and in the other direction it was pushing you down on the bank so if you were too close to the bank you were in trouble and as simple as that so all the wrecks around the Irish coast are marked what's out there there's a lot of wrecks out there now and there's um, one of the most famous ones is the Anatoop now the reason I picked the Anatoop out is because the Anatoop was lost in 1958 she was carrying its cargo of steel plates and during the attempt to find her the Arctic lifeboat was called first she was out on the bank she sat on the bank for a couple of days the weather got bad and uh, the crew were taken off then the boat was uh, went back out to try and salvage it and the crew were brought some of the crew were brought out and the fire brigade the local fire brigade were brought out by the lifeboat to put a pump on board and they pumped her out as best they could and she did actually come off the bank but unfortunately she sank just outside the bank on the English coast side of the bank. So, in the process of trying to find it for the insurance company, a team was brought over, a husband and wife team of divers, and a local fishing boat was used here to try and locate the wreck by towing a piece of wire behind the back of the boat. When the wire got foul, the diver would go down and see, 
if what they had fouled in. And on one particular occasion, a legend was born. The diver came up and said, that's not what we're looking for. It's an old World War I submarine. And thus, from there on, the, the legend of the Arklow submarine was born. Now, the legend of the submarine goes back to an explosives factory that was based here in the town at the time, Kynox. And Kynox was... Uh, there was a massive explosion in 1917 on the 21st of December 1917 and they didn't know and to this day there's no official reason why it blew, blew up why, what caused the explosion but 27 men lost their lives because of the explosion but the local theory was that it was shelled from the sea by a submarine a German submarine because it was an English factory and legend had it that when the submarine was making its escape it hit the bank and sank in your 40 years here what kind of rescues has the lifeboat been involved in you could say that every possible angle has been covered from rescuing children blowing out to sea and, and lilos or in little blow-up beds uh, we've had yachts in trouble cut getting caught in local pots the, the markers for the pots you have fishing boats breaking down needing toes you've had uh, had weather events and uh, there was one particular ship called the Hunte would have been in the year 2000 and it was a particularly bad day here a, a local fishing boat had sank in the dock right here not far from us just over there and we had spent the day trying to get her pumped out and refloated and we went in to the station and sat down and we were just having a cup of tea around half past five in the evening and at that time the pagers activate and you'd hear them on the VHF a couple of seconds before they'd actually activate in your pocket and this particular evening we were sitting there anyway and next thing we heard the beep beep noise coming out over the VHF and I turned to one of my colleagues and said oh god someone's going to get a call and little did we know that a few minutes later was us going to see and the weather that night was absolutely it just was horrendous to be honest with you we got out to the ship the problem with the ship wasn't that she was sinking or anything it was just that she was um, unable to turn because of the wind and the tide conditions she was drifting close to the Arklow bank and the captain was a concern for the safety of his crew if he did make an attempt to turn that the ship might capsize because of the weather conditions so off we went came alongside him as best we could and assured him that we were there while he made the maneuver to turn and when he turned he headed back towards the Arklow direction and on our return journey the windows at the side of the wheelhouse there were actually dipping in the water she was rolling that heavily so when we got close to the piers of Arklow I rang the previous mechanic here Christopher Gaffney and I asked Christopher if he'd just hop into his car and go down and have a look at the pier the bar as we call it to see what the conditions were like and he just replied to me why do you want to know that and I said we're at sea Christopher we're at sea and he couldn't believe it that we were actually called out on such a bad night but he went fair play to me he went out in his car and he went down to the pier and he just rang me straight back the mobile phone was a handy thing he said to me that under no circumstances attempt that pier it's too dangerous so we got a second opinion as well and the second opinion basically said the same so we proceeded to Wicklow and we tied the boat up in Wicklow that night and first thing the next morning we went we got a taxi home from Wicklow that evening and we went back the next morning and brought the lifeboat back to Arklow so that would, would have been one of the worst nights that I've ever been out so your own history with the lifeboat station here you've been here for 40 years and you have a family history as well that's very true and the other thing about it I would not under any circumstances be here 40 years without the support of the, 
my family first of all but the support in the community the support in general from I describe them as our lifeboat family we could not under any circumstances carry out the work we do without the support it goes from your mother in the early days then to your wife if you're married or your partner or whatever because at the end of the day you're giving your time up at all kinds of weird hours four o'clock in the morning you could get a call to go three o'clock in the afternoon you could get a call another one that has happened to me is that I'd be out shopping with my late wife and we would uh, be sitting I'd sit in the car and she'd be in doing the shopping and then she'd come out with a full trolley load of shopping and there's no Michael Michael's gone because there'd been a lifeboat call now she just accepted it she'd ring her sister ring her brother and the shopping to be collected and brought down and when she'd see me maybe two four hours later she's I believe you were called out again you know there'd be no questions asked so it was an imperative for you as a very young man to join the lifeboat that's another uh, I was actually um, involved here through I had an uncle here who was an assistant mechanic to, to the previous mechanic as well and from a very early age I used to hear my father and him talking about lifeboat calls and I, I was kind of fascinated and the other thing that really really when you're young and you're growing up around the quay here in Arklow I just grew up on Harbour Road which is not far from the station here we actually would hear the maroons going off they were the predecessor to the uh, pagers very very loud explosive bang and from an early age when you know that this was a strange noise I remember asking my mother what is that noise? And she said, that's the lifeboat being called out, say a prayer for someone they're in trouble, you see. And straight away your interest would be perked up. So what I'd done was, as I got older and I'd hear the maroons going off, I'd jump on my bicycle, I'd climb out over the gate, I'd be gone down to see what was going on. And it just, it came from that. And then my uncle walked in the pottery, which is across the road here. And I knew that he'd finish every evening at half four. And when I'd leave school, I'd come down and I'd sit outside the boathouse waiting for him to come out of the pottery. And I'd, I'd be I'd pleading with him to bring me in and show me around the boat, and which he did. Now, I think he firmly believed that I was only going to be a kind of a flash in the pan. This is novelty, it'll wear off. But year in, year out, it carried on. And then he kind of took me under his wing and he started to show me different parts of the boat and how the engines worked and all. And... The next part of it progressed was that the local coxswain here at the time was a man called Michael O'Brien. And Michael has, he's late Michael O'Brien now, he has the dubious honour of being called, a, or the massive honour of being called. There's a lifeboat called after him in Clower Head. And he had a fishing boat here, and I used to go out fishing with him, maybe for the day or for a week, whatever you were doing, like, you know. And this particular day, he said, We have to go in early this evening, there's an inspection, and you're coming with me. And I said, out on the lifeboat? And he said, yes, and that's how I started. And I was 16 at the time. You became the, f- the full-time mechanic, and it, it, you were the only full-time employee, as in most lifeboat stations, as the mechanic. What does the mechanic do? Now, the mechanic is responsible, basically, for the whole administration of the station. And the most important thing is to have the boat ready to go to sea at any given time, as I say. On any given day, you've... you've your 24-hour call, 365 days a year. Now, you've, there's a series of planned maintenance tasks that has to be carried out, which is routine. But if anything, say if you're on a call or if you're on an exercise and something breaks or something gets damaged or something carries away, it has to be repaired because you have to have the boat in the seaworthy condition at all times. So you're so, pri- so do you carry in the station here all the spares for that? Nine, 90% of the spares comes from the UK, You'd have a certain amount in the Dublin base in uh, Swords. The headquarters of the Ireland Lie is in Poole, and that's 
if we require something. If it's not in Dublin, it's brought in from Poole. Can you fix anything on this boat? What, what type of what class boat is this one? This boat is a Trent. It's been here since 1997. It was paid for by a man called Fritz Oppenheim from the Netherlands and it's called after his wife. It's a Trent class lifeboat. There's two engines to generate 1,700 horsepower. That's 850 horsepower per engine. In old money, she burns 90 gallons an hour of, of fuel when she's flat out. That's at 25 knots. But every drop of fuel has to be paid for by somebody. And it's your contributions. The, per- the listener here today, the listener tonight, they are absolutely vital to, to, to the RNLI in general. How different is this boat to the one you started on? Absolutely chalk and cheese. The little boat I started on was a 41-foot Watson class made from wood. The engines in it were two little gardener engines and because of my length of service here I can actually remember filling one gallon cans after it had been out for the service and the service could have been maybe five or six hours and you'd say oh she's going to use a lot of fuel today she might need three gallon cans or she might need four gallon cans. This boat when you're you're out you, you could, you're talking hundreds of litres anyway I could give you an example if we got to Dunleary to get our bottom scrubbed and washed we we put nearly 500 litres into her you know so it doesn't be long about adding up that's per engine so if you think about it the little wooden boat had a very very primitive type of radio and another example which I've used before is trying to communicate so we get a call at that time to Courtown and Arklow was our base so the honorary secretary as he was called at the time and now called alarm would be trying to contact the lifeboat so he'd have to go through Wales so he'd pick up his phone he'd ring Hollyhead Radio or Milford Haven Coast Guard and ask for a message to be relayed to the Arklow lifeboat now, kind of a funny story is that you could be looking for someone that's after being in the disco in Courtown that's took a little boat out to sea they've gone rowing around they've got reported missing by their friends and the lifeboat in Arklow was called. Now, the person you'd be looking for could be tucked up in bed before you get the message to know that they were safe. So it was a yeah, completely different world altogether, yeah. Do you have plans for your retirement? Because there's one thing you wanted to mention is that you lost your wife, Bridget, just last year. Yeah, I lost Bridget in 2019 now, and I'll have to say that it was uh, it was emotional, uh, gut-wrenching. Bridget was sick for quite a while, and... To be honest with you, I found it very, very difficult at the start to try and relay my emotions or try and even let people know how I was feeling. But I I discovered that if you spoke to somebody, anybody, even the crew here or any of the, the, the people going in and out of the station, similar to your, I had similar experiences or some people had no experience of it I found it uh, very beneficial so I, I discovered that if I put it down on paper and I just write just a little article or write something about it, I found it very very helpful. You wrote a piece in the local newspaper here? I done a piece for the local, yeah, the Wicklow Journal or the Wicklow, yeah, and they, pay, or they picked up and I actually put it on Facebook and what happened was I got a few phone calls and I was surprised at the amount of comments that was made about the fact that I'm a man and that it's not done for a man to speak about his emotions and they were they were actually encouraging me to do it more. So one of the most amazing calls I had was from a woman in, in the UK and she just contacted me and she's, the way she described it was she was very surprised at the way she described me was a salty sea dog type 
pouring my heart out on a sleeve and the reason I done it was if I can help one person to get it, the message across to him that it's not it's not wrong to, for a man to express his emotions it, if you can talk about it you have the problem straight away and then if you can pass your experiences on to someone else to let them know that they're not going through it alone it's it, it does help and I have found it to my benefit anyway and in the in the weeks and months since Bridget has died it's been kind of it's been kind of like a relief to me that I can actually look back on it now and put a positive spin on what was a tra- tragic circumstances she she developed cancer and unfortunately she, she fought hard and she fought well but unfortunately she died from it in the end so if I can help anyone one person a day as I say or one person a week or one person a year it's absolutely I, I find it positive anyway so Many thanks to Michael Fitzgerald and I'm sure I echo all listeners by saying the absolute best of luck to him on his retirement. Last week, a large navigation boy watched up on the beach in Whiting Bay near Yole. It became something of a tourist attraction and a Facebook star for a couple of days before it was eventually rescued. Dermot Gray is the master of the Irish lights ship, the Gronia Whale. He was tasked with putting the boy back and he told me earlier about the work they do. We're um, the Commissioners of Irish Lights Aids to Navigation Vessel. So presently our work is really going around the coast of Ireland. We, we have a timetable in sections, uh, maintaining and ensure all the aids to navigation, such as voyage and lighthouses in certain areas, are maintained in order to give their full service to the mariner to show that they're, availability, that, that they're available basically at all times. We had a few calls this week from people down around Yole in County Cork because something was washed up on a beach there. Yes, yes, uh, it's an unusual event, but it does happen. And uh, on the 28th of March, there was a severe uh, southerly gale, which uh, caused an awful lot of high seas and a lot of energy in in the seas. And the uh, Black Ball Boy, which is at East Cardinal Mark, marking the Black Ball Ledge, on the approaches to Yall Harbour, it, it actually broke its moorings at a weak part and uh, drifted up onto White, into Whiting Bay and up on the beach there. Uh, that, that, that was the, the cause, actually, was bad weather, uh, extreme weather on our mooring chain, which um, on our boy and, and, and the chain party. And a, a boy like this, when you look at it from the shore, they seem quite small, but in fact they are enormous. Uh, well, the black ball boy wouldn't be one of our biggest boys. It, it's totally appropriate for what it marks. But yeah, it is fairly big. And weight-wise, I mean, that's a five-ton boy that was uh, floating floating away from its position and into the bay as such. When, if I'm passing that, it's a, it gives me a certain amount of information. It's got a flashing light. I can look on the chart, tell me where it is. But there are also pointers on it to tell me which side to pass. Yeah, that's correct. We, 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 uh, the, the, this boy in particular is what is what's called an east cardinal mark, uh, meaning that the danger is lying to the west of it, and safe water is to the east of it, and the mariner will pass to the east of that boy. The mariner can see it at night by the flash characteristic on the boy, so that's flash three every nine seconds. That's an east mark, and also by its colour, it's black, yellow, black. And again, just visually, the mariner can actually see from the colour of the boy 
the safe side to pass. And does that one also have a little arrow on the top that tells you which side to pass? Yes, it does. It's a, that, that's what's called the top mark. And the top mark is virtually two triangles based together, which, which again denotes that the safe water is to the east of the boy, so you're to pass to the east of it. How many of these things do we have around the coast? Oh, we have over 144 boys, but all, all with different, well, a lot with the same service as we've just been talking about, which is quite a basic boy, uh, be it its colour, its light and its top mark. But a lot of our other boys will carry what's called AIS, which is an electronic signature of where the boy is, of what the boy is and its health. We, our boys, can carry Raycons, which put out a a footprint of such and ships' radars, showing the navigator the type and where the boy is and and what it is. Uh, We've also started putting Met Ocean as assault equipment on boys, which you just dial into on Twitter, for argument's sake. The mm. uh, Dublin Bay boy, you can dial in there on Twitter. It's got more followers than you and me put together. <laughs> Absolutely. It's got it's got an awful lot of feathers in its captain boys. But yes, so, so we do provide quite a lot of services on, on each of the boys that we have around our coast, marking the dangers and banks. On the weather forecast, you'll hear them mentioning boy M4. That's down off Tusker Rock somewhere. Yeah, that's correct. But that's um, a boy... Uh, a weather boy that the um, it, it's, it's operated by the Marine Institute. We actually deploy it and recover it, and that sends its information to the Met Office. So the for the, the the weather forecasts uh, it assists in giving out the weather forecasts that we all hear. But when you hear that from the M4 boy, that weather, that's live weather off that particular boy. In years gone by, we used to have things like lightships. The, down near there now, there was the Connie Beg lightship. I've been passed it by a few times when there was a lightship, then surprised to find it another day it had been replaced by a boy. Well, the Connie Beg lightship is quite interesting in that the Connie Beg uh, lightship was replaced by three boys. Uh, we took the Connie Beg off station, it was maybe 12 years ago or such, and we put a very large boy in its place. But but that large boy did not could not provide the same range and service that the Conningbeg light vessel did, which was a, a major aid to navigation. So in conjunction with the Conningbeg boy, we laid the Red Bank boy, which is to the east of the Salties, and the Bore Rocks boy. Sorry, Red Bank is to the west of the Salties, and the Bore Rocks boy to the east of the Salty Islands, marking all the dangers around the uh, Salty Islands and Conningbeg rocks. So really effectively replacing the light vessel with three boys to do its job. And if I'm sailing along there, I'll have my chart in front of me. These boys will be marked and it will also tell me on the paper mark or map or chart how frequently the light flashes. Oh, that's correct. That is the characteristic of the light and the chart will tell you. So you can count the flashes of the light look at your chart and you will identify the boy from the flashes of the light when you consult your chart with it. How m- Again, telling you the safe side to pass it on. How often do you have to look after these or service each one? Well, we, when we put a boy out, it, it, it's usually at sea for eight years. Uh, we maintain them every two years. They have solar panels? Oh yes, they've all got, uh, all the boys now have got, are, are, are all solar powered. Uh, into batteries which um, 
provide the power to the aids navigation and the services which the boys um, provide. How did you recover the black ball boy? Well, the black ball boy was, was probably one of the, the, the less interesting ones for us in recovery in that we didn't. Um, it drifted onto the shore and it was very handy for a, um, the, there was a road and they managed to get it onto the back of a uh, lorry and trailer. And it was uh, brought back up to Dunleary. I mean, this has happened occasionally in the past where the, the ship would go in close and we transfer tow ropes onto the shore and heave these boys back out. But where this one ended up, the ship couldn't have got in that close anyway and it was taken onto a lorry and back to our base in Dunleary. You're master of the growing whale. You're servicing all these boys, the lighthouses. What's next for you? Well, no, no, we, we, we just carry on. We, 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 we absolutely do just carry on doing this job. Um, it's a really, really rewarding job. And the great thing is we are keeping the roadways open and safe navigation for all the ships which are coming to and from our port. And I don't know what's realised, but certainly in these times, supply lines are crucial. So the food, medicines, uh, pharma, everything we get in this country is brought in by ship, or the majority of it is. And I'm really proud of our role in keeping the sea lanes open to allow those ships bringing the vital, vital supplies to Ireland. Dermot Gray, the master of the Gronia Whale. And that's it for Seascapes for this week. We're back at the same time next Friday. Everything on the programme is podcast. It's on our website, rt.ie slash seascapes. If you want to contact me or the programme, the email is seascapes at rt.ie. If you're lucky enough to be anywhere on or near the water over the next week, stay safe. Seascapes is presented and produced by Fergal Keane.